Hey, good morning. It's Monday, August 23rd, 2021. It was quite a weekend. Been a couple days since we talked. Uh, fantastic Trump rally. Of course, lots going on in Afghanistan. Kamal Harris laughing when asked about Afghanistan. It's pretty remarkable. It's uh, not really surprising. I'm rarely surprised. But this last week I have been. Even by the extreme left, they have shocked me with their inability to manage a crisis or to lead. And this goes from Biden all the way down. But first, on a positive note, I hope you saw the Donald Trump rally, the Save America rally in Cutler, Alabama, Saturday night, two days ago. It was attended by roughly 50,000 people. It's Alabama, right? That's certainly friendly territory, but 50,000 people showed up. And uh, for somebody who is no longer president of the United States, but is still larger than life with his crowd, me included, and it was a blast to watch. I saw some of it live. I've seen most of it recorded. The viral moment of the event was Trump's comment about wokeness. And he said, everything woke turns to shit. I mean, that's... uh, the crowd went nuts because now, you know, he's been rallying against this. He was elected to not only drain the swamp, but to just destroy this woke, politically correct, extremely sensitive culture that's been built by the left and really just by weak people, by people that can't compete, that can't perform on a perfectly even playing field. And so destroying your competition, taking others down by looking at, you know, the semantics of what they say or picking out words and taking things completely out of context. And it's it, this favors the left. That's why they do this. They have the press. So these, um, these woke attacks, the woke world is really designed by the left. Now it's blown up on them. It's been a little bit as a you know Frankenstein's monster. And I think to, to shock a few of those who have participated, they've been taken down. But Trump... Trump was fantastic. I mean, that was just one of the lines. He talked about a number of topics. Of course, the press, 99%, have picked out one segment of the of the rally, and that's when Trump brought up the vaccine, which was a powerful moment and a highly informative moment on the way things ought to be, to quote Rush Limbaugh. And that's, it's your choice. And Trump, like anybody, I mean, just, he's so good at relating with everyone, especially conservatives and libertarians. He said, hey, I got the vaccine. It's my, it was my choice. You don't have to, it's your choice. Now, when he first said he got the vaccine, the vaccine got booed. Trump wasn't. You'll see some of that headline probably still. You probably did yesterday on Sunday. People boo the vaccine. It's their right. And they have some reasons to do that. I'm not really going to judge them. But Trump handled the moment perfectly because he said, hey, that's fine. You don't have to like it. I got it. I think you should, but it's your choice. Amen. That sums up how this should be, how this should have been from the beginning. Biden is too stupid, feeble, and has basically a damaged squash for a brain to realize, and this includes his people, that his tone has been a mess from the beginning. And he made it political because he made it something that he wanted to mandate. And really, he, he condescended. And of course, because they take talking points 
and they take behaviors right from the top. The left has done that from the beginning. If you don't have the vaccine, you're killing people. You're an idiot. You're a rube. You deserve to die. We talked about this. They're sociopaths. They celebrate when an unvaccinated person, especially somebody who's unvaccinated and was outspoken against the vaccine. There's a radio host recently by the last name of Valentine. He succumbed to COVID complications last week. Martina Navratilova, the famous tennis player who, of course, became more famous because she came out as a lesbian. Totally boring, frankly irrelevant, had nothing to do with anything, but, you know, the struggle is real, I guess. But she was an amazing athlete. Uh, I remember seeing her battle Chris Everett for obvious reasons. I was a massive Chris Everett fan. I'll give you a hint. It wasn't just because she was American, but I was in formative years, and it was pretty exciting to see Chris Everett play tennis, let alone watch her win when she did. But Martina, I remember beating her. And it was quite an accomplishment. It was quite a battle. And now Martina's come out and celebrated on Twitter the death of this conservative radio host, Valentine. And she got roasted for it, especially when she herself was a victim of the woke mob when she came out not supporting essentially transgenderism last year. She got ripped. Now the shoe's on the other foot. She has an issue. She can drape herself in leftist psychotic behavior and is on Twitter getting hammered now and had to delete the tweet. But that's how they are. And Biden created this. Biden should have, but he's too arrogant. And he got elected on being not Trump. That was his campaign, just like Hillary's. And so Biden couldn't really go about this in a measured way and say, it's your choice. Here's why we, the CDC, the NIH, or my administration, recommend the vaccine. They're incapable of that. They're incapable of talking on an equal playing field with those with whom they disagree. They can't do it, right? They're children in this way. Trump really made this the way it is today. It's Trump derangement syndrome. They're so hateful of Donald Trump and those of us who share his ideals and support him, they can't give us anything. They're not going to give you any respect. So when you don't respect people, you talk down to them. Trump did a great job in that moment. And of course, CNN covered it as if he's lost his people or you know, he's created his own monster. He can't control his people as if he was the fascist they wanted him to be and was looking to control people. This guy, the guy's never been about control. It's amazing that they would use lack of control to describe Donald Trump and his supporters when the Biden administration, Kamala Harris, all of them are 100% all about control. COVID has shown us how much they wish they could control and how far they might be willing to go. Look at Australia. Have you been paying attention? They had four COVID deaths in a country of 25 million yesterday, and they are completely locked down. They're actually showing on evening news people that are going out of their apartments. They're showing videos from the elevator, from the lift, that essentially puts them to be a criminal homicidal maniac on the run and the guy's a jerk he's a piece of shit he has covid you can see him coughing on the elevator by himself and there's a nationwide manhunt for him as if he's some kind of suspected serial killer i mean they're obsessed and it's horrifying i have a friend there who said they i mean you can't go anywhere without a mask and frankly you really can't go anywhere Four deaths yesterday, and they have the country locked down. They freaked out after one case. So their level of paranoia about something 
has led them to become more controlling and demonize a subset of people amongst their population. Does that sound familiar? The Nazi party bred fear of the Jews, demonized them, right? Controlled them, locked them down in ghettos, and then eventually executed them in mass genocide. That's a leap. I don't think we're getting there, but I don't give a shit. Just because we're not going to get there doesn't mean it's horrifying to see what has been considered for decades a free country, Australia, turning on itself, turning on its people, and singling people out in a way that puts them in harm. I mean, you've got enough psychotics, millions all over the world, who think that anyone who hasn't had a vaccine should simply be left for dead, that they should be denied medical care. And you think that that won't jump to a level where they go out hunting somebody who has COVID and is walking around the streets? I mean, yeah, the guy is doing wrong and he should face some level of accountability if he's sick and if he intentionally tries to put people in harm's way. But let you, let's use some sense. I don't even like using the term common sense because it's so uncommon. But they've lost their mind. And so now Kamala and Joe Biden have, you know, Biden just, they, they want to keep COVID the top issue. It was for the election. No matter what was happening, even with the economy, that was the unique factor in 2020 is there was something more important than the economy for the election. And that was COVID. So therefore, if you win on that issue, you certainly want to keep it around. And we just had Hurricane Henri. It's spelled Henry. I keep hearing hearing people say Henri. I don't know what the hell that's about. It's Henry for me. And turned into a tropical storm. Storm like 99% of the hurricanes formed off, off the coast. They typically decline in status as they approach the coast, as this one did. But it was a lot of rain. A lot of rain. It's a tropical storm. Still has a name. Henri. What does Biden do when he tweets out to his people and to the people of the Northeast his well wishes and recommendations and his cautions? He mentions COVID. Be sure to be vaccinated and wear a mask while you hunker down. (laughs) I mean, he can't help himself. Of course, that wasn't his organic tweet sitting there in Delaware before his, you know, seven o'clock lights out time. That's his staff. That's purely political. They're desperate, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's Afghanistan, they have to somehow find a way to keep COVID at the top of the ticket. It's his only hope. It's really the Democrats' only hope. If they could keep the CPR to COVID, they can keep it alive long enough for them to get some kind of voter restrictions in place for 2022 midterms. But Afghanistan's not going away, and it's getting worse. So we've been talking about it one week. It's been seven days. And it's progressively getting worse. The Pentagon spokesperson, Kirby, uh, the Secretary of Defense, uh, Blinken, the Secretary of State, none of them can tell you how many Americans are trapped in Afghanistan. Kabul airport has become more dangerous in the last two days since I last spoke with you. Uh, They are still recommending people not to come while telling people at the same time out of the other side of their mouth, unofficially, get to the airport, we'll get you out. The Taliban is rejecting people at the gates. They're stopping Americans and they're essentially beating them for trying to come near the gate. 
And of course, there's looming this August 31st deadline for the U.S. withdrawal. That is still established. And the Taliban says right now their their official take is to threaten the Biden regime. And I quote, complete the evacuations by August 31 or face consequences. That's on video. So we are in a position, the United States of America, that our military is being told to get the fuck out by a certain date or else. No way in any dimension on any planet in the universe does that statement come out if Donald J. Trump is president of the United States. No way. Doesn't happen. This is how weak we are, right? This is the level of patheticness we have reached in a country that used to be allied with us. It no longer is. There is no longer Afghanistan, and there won't be. That flag, that staff, that president, they're not coming back. It's over. We lost. We wasted almost 20 years. Operation Enduring Freedom accomplished nothing. It really didn't, other than a temporary probably stay and protection on terrorist attacks in the United States because I was all about killing them there before they come here. Did we stay too long? Sure. But did we really have any hope of leaving completely and the Taliban taking over? Absolutely not. We're always going to need some kind of small security force to uphold and ensure they build a true, truly devastating military, right? One that isn't safe. Stop telling the military to be safe. Their job is to kill people and blow things up. That's it. There's no other job. In the end, whether you support it or actually pull the trigger, that's what the military is about, is making things very unsafe for the enemy. And as George Patton said, which... If you saw that part in the beginning of the rally, Trump played it, the opening speech uh, from the movie Patton, the actual speech from General George S. Patton, uh, talking to his troops before they joined the Allies and basically led the entire invasion of Europe and marched across in what no one thought was possible in a matter of weeks and destroyed the Nazis and could have gone on to destroy the Soviet Union had they let him. But Patton said... The job is not to die for your country, it's to make the other poor bastard die for his. Yet here we are negotiating. We're negotiating with the Taliban. We're asking them permission to bring people in, permission to leave the base. We, we have no control. We are now negotiating with terrorists. That is supposedly the official approach, the official doctrine of anti-terrorism in the United States is to never negotiate with terrorists, and we are now negotiating with the Taliban. Let that sink in for a minute. That is how far the academic liberal is willing to sell us out and how much they're willing to lie to themselves. These are, this is the problem with not working in the real world. This is why Donald Trump was so popular and is so popular. He relates. He's a businessman. He's dealt with people on the day-to-day. We're being led by people that have only worked on these scenarios in academic environments, in environments of theory, which are completely flawed. You can do your best in a war game to try to simulate actual war, actual combat, actual strategic and or tactical planning and response. You can simulate it the best you can, but nothing is like the actual scenario, the fog of war, the things that go sideways after you begin a mission, right? And, you know, they say, like, it's the best analogy. Every boxer has a plan until he gets punched. What we have is somebody right now who led a plan, a withdrawal, that really wasn't planned, 
that ignored intelligence, and now we've stepped into the ring with an enemy we completely underestimated, trying to say it's inevitable that we would have lost, but at the same time we're saying we were surprised, and we're getting the shit beat out of us over and over. And we're the United States of America. We're not going to completely throw in the towel. But at some point, that is how this is going to be marketed to the rest of the world. That's what the Taliban is going to say. Whenever we do leave, it will be that we surrendered and that we gave it back because we were defeated by the brave, bold, uh, goat-fucking, psychopathic, Islamo-fascists that they are. They're nuts. They're dirty, disgusting human beings. They're savages. They don't have airplanes. Now, they have helicopters, thanks to us. But otherwise, they've got shit. And we lost to them. That's how bad you can, you can plan. If you don't have a plan, you can lose to even these guys. And they are totally emboldened. And now they're telling us, get out by August 31st or else. I never, absolutely never thought I would see the day. It's horrifying. Uh, there apparently has been a gun battle that's broken out in Kabul airport. Um, after it comes under sniper fire, one Afghan soldier dead. So now the people who were supposedly secure at the airport in Kabul are now under threat of having their head blown off by a sniper. Right now, they're simply clearly targeting these poor remaining Afghan soldiers who are tweeting from behind enemy lines. There are elite units and units that we trained talking about areas outside the cities that they are still defending. The same people that Joe Biden said didn't have what it took. The same people he threw under the bus while throwing our military under the bus are actually out there battling with no support from the United States. Nothing. Not, not even special ops on the ground helping them prepare, getting them ready. Nobody's, nobody's got their back. No air support, nothing. And they're tweeting things that are essentially going to be their last tweets. Pray for us. They're surrounding us. They're coming. It's out there. These are verified accounts of guys that trusted us aligned themselves, allied themselves with us, and have now been completely ditched. They have nobody. Where are their families? What are they fighting for now? God love them. Because like so many others, it would have been easy to tuck tail and run. Shit, join the other side. That's the problem we had with not having a security force and not helping the Afghan army feel like they were backed up by the United States. That's incredibly motivating. But flip the coin. It can't be less motivating, more demotivating than to have the greatest superpower in the world, the greatest, strongest, most modern military in the world completely leave you. That's what happened. And so the there is no going to be no momentum shift. It shifted overnight 100% to the Taliban and they are leveraging it. And they're coming hard and fast. And they're, I don't know what happens after August 31st. They're already shooting people from the outside. What's next? Guys, we know the playbook. These are terrorists, right? Al-Qaeda is moving their way in. They're recruiting, and we've made it so easy. So it's not a matter of if, but when will there be the next homicidal terrorist attack on a U.S. military location? The first, the first one has got to be this airport in Kabul where we have soldiers. This is the ultimate target. The Taliban has their own world that they live in. All the jihadis and the potential jihadis, right, the ones they want to recruit and the ones that they're easily going to be able to recruit and join them in the days, weeks, and months to come, 
they're watching, right? If they just sit outside and allow the United States and allow the former Afghanistan to just sit comfortably in an airfield and evacuate their own people at will, it looks really bad to the jihadis. So I'm really worried about this supposed deadline that is just a tad over a week away. It's August 23rd. That's August 31st. What happens on September 1? And guess what? Right around the corner is September 11th. So we've got these somewhat horrifying milestones on the horizon. I mean, on the immediate horizon, right? I mean, it's one swipe on the calendar and a world of shit awaits these poor people in Kabul, in the airport, and outside. What happens to the ones that are still trapped in a week? It is going to be infinitely more dangerous than it is today. It's snowballing. The level of the humanitarian crisis hasn't even reached nearly the peak of what it will be. I mean, the Taliban, what utilities are they running? Who's getting food and water to people? You see Marines handing water out to children outside the base. They're trying. I mean, that's not even a drop in a bucket. You have an entire country that has no real government infrastructure right now. How do they get fed? When does the power go out completely? Is this the next North Korea? I mean, God knows what we're going to be doing. The UN, the United States, we're going to be sending aid of all sorts to Afghanistan for decades to come. Maybe for as long as our country, our government still stands. So it is a, um, it is a snowballing, it's its own hurricane. And it's worse than we thought. There is, I mean, when, when you look at the armaments, the, the weapons that we left behind, the initial estimates of money in the, you know, the worth in 83 billion and the number of helicopters and anti-aircraft missile systems and God knows what else, it's worse. Every day it gets worse when they find out exactly they're doing the inventory and we don't live in a world that Biden wants to live in where they can control all of the information. He's lost, I think, temporarily the protection he has in general from the media. You have the usual people that are starting to throw out some cover, but it's to no avail. Right now what's happening is the military over there is so pissed off. The government contractors are so pissed off not only about the humanitarian crisis and what's happening, but the weapons, right? The things that we've left behind and given them that will be used to kill our allies and kill Americans, there is absolutely no doubt. And we've done this before, but at least the first time in Afghanistan, we intentionally armed them, right? We armed them to fight the Soviets. This was just a completely ignorant oversight. And Trump talked about it at the rally. He said he would have bombed bombed the hell out of those five bases where the military weapons were before pulling out. That's standard. So now we've left them behind, and it's being reported that there is enough to fortify the Taliban and Al-Qaeda for years. Um, There are warehouses that have been captured. There are things that aren't even on official inventory that have been captured because they didn't blow anything up, and they didn't have time to move it out. And it's unprecedented. I don't know when in, in the history of our country for certain or ever that a country has pulled out its military before pulling out the civilians that military is sworn to protect. It's, I don't even like calling it a joke. If you'd have told me that would happen under any administration, I would think you were just making it up. Um, And 
you've got now an opportunity for China, for Russia, to look like they're saviors of the world. Apparently, the German Chancellor, Chancellor Angela Merkel asked Putin for help in getting Germany out of that mess. German soldiers are there too. There are German citizens, I'm sure, trapped, unsure of where to go and when to go, unsure if they will survive trying to get to that one airport in Kabul. But it is, uh, it is a, a nightmare. I mean, we've evacuated many more Afghans than Americans. And like I mentioned before, they have no idea. And to quote Blinken, the Secretary of State, he said, it's, if I had to guess, it's somewhere in the thousands. Great job, buddy. That's pretty specific. So uh, this, is, uh, this is sideways. It is a crisis. Um, it's, one, it's one of many that Biden could have presided over, and he, this, he may not be done yet. Uh, he couldn't, when he spoke yesterday, he came out and did his teleprompter read. He couldn't even, it, this is on the teleprompter, correctly reference or even remember FEMA. And now he's, we're somehow going to involve um, FEMA in things. And of course, FEMA's busy with tropical storm relief, the terrible flooding in Tennessee. Um, and, and apparently it's being floated that FEMA will have some part in international issues such as Afghanistan. I, I don't know if, if that's true. That's coming from the inside. But right now, it's up to the Secretary of State and the Department of State in Afghanistan, and they're doing a terrible job. In a sane world, I mean, in any world we've ever lived in, there would be at least two high-profile resignations by now. So day seven, we're at the one-week point. It would be the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, or the director of the CIA, or somebody who was a part of this would have to have to jump on the sword for Biden, for the presidents. Take Biden out of it. This is just standard. This is that level of a disaster. Staff members, cabinet members have been fired or resigned for significantly less. But this is the elitism that has taken over the Democrat Party. They would expect no less from Trump or any other Republican, but they would never do it themselves. I mean, if something remotely like this happened under the Trump administration, I mean, he, heads would have rolled by now. And we would have military operations rescuing people, and there would be plenty of dead Taliban. There would be combat. There, there's, there's, we're in a position now where we can't just sit around. We have to start killing these dudes and hold them off long enough to make them nervous and just make it look like they're winning and let us get our people the hell out. That's not going to happen. Biden is too politically concerned. They are just going to cover as long as they can and hope somehow it just stops falling apart because the, the decline every day, the news is worse and worse. And there's no mechanism. There's no strategy to make it better. It's just get, get here somehow and we'll try to get you out. And we're not talking about airlifts you know, like it's LAX or JFK, right? Planes taking off every 30 seconds, leaving the ground. They're not even close to that. I heard it's maybe four to six a day. It's nothing. They can't, they just don't have the people. They probably have the planes by now. They got, they got countries all over the world offering aircraft and pilots. We just can't, we can't fill them up. It's too, it's too dangerous for the people to get there. But Kamala Harris doesn't seem to be one bit worried. She was asked 
two days ago when she was arriving in Singapore or leaving. I don't know when that, that witch was getting on or off the plane, but immediately has that cackle. That just super uncomfortable, completely demonstrative tick of hers. It shows that she is uncomfortable, unprepared, doesn't have rem- the, the experience or the wherewithal to handle any of these issues. She's a nobody, right? She slept her way to the top in San Francisco to get her first political job as district attorney. And here she is. Not, she's not interested in being thrust into the headlines for this reason, right? This is her whole thing as a VP was just to be a strong woman, right? Come out and flex on women's issues once in a while, pose for O Magazine, and get through this term so she could run for election and be the first woman president or be sworn in because Biden takes a nosedive. And I think that that's more possible now. But they ask her about Afghanistan and she cackles. It's viral because she's a bitch. And now she is in Singapore and did a joint press conference with their president and uh, the, or their prime minister, Song Long Lee. So Prime Minister Lee and sweet Kamala appeared together and answered questions. And already Lee, I mean, he's, you know, Kamala gives the standard side speech, the liberal angle on it, and praised her boss, Joe Biden, for how he showed emotion. Remember, this is what matters to these clowns. It's not the results. It's not what you accomplish. It's how you act. And that is what's so dangerous because they teach this to our kids that what you do, or frankly, how you do something matters more than what you do. You show empathy. You act concerned while you fuck everything up. That's okay because you showed great emotion. And she said that. Those are her absolute words and said she praised President Biden for having shown, and I quote, shown great emotion in expressing sadness about some of the images we have seen. That's the guy that we were told was going to restore our dignity in the world. His great accomplishment in the last week was the emotion he's fucking shown. I mean, what a, what a car loaded with losers, right? I mean, we lost the game, but you showed great emotion and you cared about the images of the team losing. No, you fucking lost. We just lost a war. But she praises her boss for showing great emotion, which I don't even buy. I don't even think he knows what he's showing emotion about half the time. And so she's standing there next to the Prime Minister Lee of Singapore, and the guy's probably thinking, why am I even meeting this woman? How am I have to take her serious because of the flag on the side of her plane. But Lee, Lee said, you know, and was asked about American credibility. Great question. I'm glad the press is actually doing their job, even abroad. And asked about, when asked about America's credibility in light of current events, and um, then asked, you know, what happens next, right? I mean, clearly it's assumed in the question. American credibility is at an all-time low after this mess. Who wants to be our ally, right? Think about Singapore, Asia, Pacific Asia, and what they deal with, the threat of Chinese power, right, of the machine that is communist China. That, that is just over the horizon for Taiwan, for Singapore, for all of these countries, And so they look at this and they wonder, well, is it good to be? Can we really feel as safe as we have being an ally of the United States? Of course they can. And so what Lee said, what will influence perceptions of the U.S. resolve and commitment to the region will be what the U.S. does going forward, right? So he's right. What do we do next? 
because it's been a week and we haven't done shit with the situation. He went on to say how it repositions itself in the region, meaning us, the United States, how the U.S. engages its broad range of friends and partners and allies in the region, and how it continues to fight against terrorism, Lee said, which he has his own problems in the region. And it's all the same group, all different segments of Islamo-fascism, right? Islamic terrorism, same enemy, still and never has changed the worst threat to global stability. It isn't white rage. It isn't white nationalism, just FYI. But he said, countries make calculations and take positions, and they have to make recalculations and adjust their positions from time to time. He moved on to say, sometimes things go awry and take time to put right. Well, this is certainly going to take a lot of time because we've allowed so much damage to be done. But you have the prime minister of Singapore expressing publicly, not not behind closed doors with sweet Kamala, but publicly to the world that, yeah, the United States has fucked up to a level that makes us even doubt we are stable with them as an ally. That's a new and, again, horrifying milestone for us. And I don't quite know what this administration can do. They're just not capable. They don't have the right military leaders in place to fix this, right? The Joint Chiefs of Staff believes white rage is the biggest threat to the United States. And he's never, never going to make an adjustment on that statement in light of what's happened. That's not going to change. But it's, um, it's, clearly, it's clearly going sideways. And you know what? It, it, this administration, the Democrats, deserve nothing less because they dared, they had the balls to carry Joe Biden through an election, to hide him, to put him in the basement, and think that they could get away with him being president of the United States. And this went, went down famously, horrifyingly, in less than a year. And it's never going to improve. There's nothing they can do to trick this. Because it's not their worst nightmare because of what's happening to these poor people in Afghanistan, to include Americans. It's their worst nightmare politically. So anytime I say they are upset about something, you must assume and understand they're upset because of the political fallout. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They don't care about their own leftist betas that vote for them, right? Team Vanilla. They only care about the political fallout. And that's the nightmare that has them throwing things, throwing lampshades behind the scenes. They're freaking out. All the while, <laughs> Governor Cuomo, I believe, resigns tomorrow officially. He's been out um, doing his last press briefings on the tropical storm, trying to enjoy that moment of power. He's no longer talking about COVID. He has no forum. He has no credibility. He's done, I believe, tomorrow. And apparently, he's been accused of ditching his dog uh, where he had to move from the governor's mansion. There are spokespersons denying it, but it's a typical asshole who claims to be compassionate, typical leftist who actually isn't, right? Care about the homeless until there's one on their corner, and you watch how quickly that homeless person is shipped the hell out. Um, In other news, the FDA approves a COVID vaccine that I had six months ago. (laughs) So... You can make fun of me and those of us who had it all you want. We, we deserve a little, but so do the people that are shirking it too because since getting that vaccine, I have been exposed to some very sick people and I didn't have any issues. Um, again, not saying the vaccine had anything to do with it. There are folks on the original Princess Cruise in Japan that shared a cruise ship cabin, not very large, 
with their spouse. Their spouse had COVID and they didn't. And so it's just, it's one of those things. But uh, the FDA has fully approved it. Um, That brings me no comfort, right? They're a wing of this corrupt government. They had a job to do. What are they, I mean, is the alternative possible? Were they going to come out and saying they no longer approved it after hundreds of millions of people have had at least one dose, if not two? That's not going to happen. Can you imagine what would happen? They shouldn't. Like, really, there's some things I don't want to know. And if they're lying, I'm so glad they are. Not only because I don't want to be worried about myself or my family or anyone else who have had the vaccine, but I wouldn't want to see what would happen to the market and the total collapse of our life, even in the short term, if they were to share the truth that the Pfizer vaccine (laughs) turned out to be a shit deal and we're all going to have fingers falling off any day now. I don't want to know. Right. We'll get there, but um, (laughs) hopefully not for a long time or never. But, um, you know, it's it's um, it's a deal still. There are a shit ton of cases in places like Kentucky. Uh, The press is going to leverage that still as best they can. You're going to see more covid horrifying stories creep into the news as they try to make us forget what's happening in Afghanistan. That's going to be tough. Again, we're not just tuning in in the evening listening to Walter Cronkite or Tom Brokaw anymore. The news cycle is 24-7, especially in light of what's happening in the Middle East. And uh, that's not going to change. But they're still going to try to distract and scare you and tell you to mask up and get a vaccine, even though there's a hurricane looming outside your window. They want you more worried about getting COVID from your family, who you've spent the last year and a half with, primarily, only in some cases. But you still better wear a mask. Get the fuck out of here. He literally said that in a tweet. Um, but right now you're seeing attacks on guys like Ron DeSantis and any governor who's still allowing people to live their lives and not being like Australia. And, um, you know, there's uh, uh, anything that DeSantis does. He's the new lightning rod because he's still in power. Trump's going to get some editorials, but, you know, DeSantis is still running a state and is still somebody he, he still and will be somebody they fear runs for president because he is very popular in a state they want to make a swing state again. I think Florida has been pretty strong red Republican for the last two elections. And that's certainly not going to change if Ron DeSantis DeSantis runs for president because people respect that he has allowed them to make their own choice. When I say people, Republicans and then the moderates that swing every election, right? The undecided, whoever the hell they are, but they exist. They're not a myth. And Ron DeSantis is taking heat from local media, state media in, in Florida, and of course national, because now he's pushing therapeutics for people that get it, which is great. I know they work. I know someone who's had an infusion of remdesivir or one of the competitors that came from Eli Lilly. And it worked incredibly well. And there's a certain set of COVID patients where they know now, based on the data, these therapeutics will really receive help, will see benefit from receiving these infusions in the early days of their symptoms. And so DeSantis, because he has rising cases there, um, is trying to help people get well, God forbid. But, you know, remember, let's go back to this. The left-wing press, which is essentially all of it, wants these people to die. The first thing you watch, go to any post about somebody getting COVID. Jesse Jackson, sadly, is not only COVID positive, but he's hospitalized, he and his wife. And you can assume I disagree with Jesse Jackson politically on a lot of things, but I had a, had a chance to meet him a few years ago at an airport. 
and he sat right next to me with somebody who was maybe his, you know, on his staff. And uh, we had an incredible, really fun conversation. And we la- something happened that we saw. We laughed and we started chatting and um, told him, you know, all you know. I remember when he ran for president and how you know what an inspiring person he's been. And it was just really, really nice. And he was a nice guy. And um, but he's got COVID. He's in the hospital. But the first question people ask those people is, was he vaccinated? And the answer is yes, he was. So they obviously feel bad for him. Had the answer been no, he would have received a different response. Had he been a Republican, a conservative, like Herman Cain, who died of COVID, they'd be celebrating, just like Martina Navratilova did when that radio, that conservative conservative radio host died of COVID. It's their nature, right? They hate us now more so than ever because of Donald Trump. I think that's fine because they show their true colors. That is human nature is going to turn more people away from them. Barbara Streisand tweeting about things. The recall in California. I'm going to do a separate show on that. I'll probably do it today, definitely tomorrow, because it's looming. Gavin Newsom is in trouble, and it's fantastic. And one of my favorite people to listen to on the radio, I mean, second, a, a somewhat distant, because there's no Rush Limbaugh, but a, a legit second to Rush has always been Larry Elder the sage of South Central. Larry Elder is one of the most effective, most intelligent conservatives on the radio. And why does he drive the left nuts? Like Herman Cain, he happens to be black. And that is an absolute betrayal to them. That the, you, if, you are a, if you are white and conservative, you will never reach the level of hate the left has for a black conservative. I mean, it is, it is striking what they say. The LA Times is talking about how he is a white nationalist. That's how deranged they are on it. And there's even a term now coined elder derangement syndrome. And we're going to get into who Larry Elder is and why he's such a fantastic person for the job. But take out any of the possible replacements in this recall. All it takes is enough of a vote to recall Gavin to get rid of him. And then whoever has the most of the write-ins, I believe you write in the name, wins. You don't need 51%, right? You don't need a majority vote to be the governor in a recall. First step is just having the majority vote recall the governor, and then whomever has the most votes in favor is the governor. That could be 10 12%. It's looking like it's going to be Larry Elder I, I need to do my homework. I believe there's somebody, another pretty conservative individual that's close behind him. So right now, there's either it, it's either a recall or not. That's the vote. And it and Gavin Newsom's scared to death. I mean, he's campaigning. He's bringing out the big guns, and he's got Hollywood trying to help him on social media. And I think they're doing more damage, more so than they ever have, because that's not new. These people coming out and telling us what we should do from their mansions in Malibu has always been just an incredible lack of self-awareness on their part. They have no idea, especially in a state like California, to say is declined would be an understatement. It's falling apart. Well, that doesn't affect the lives of the wealthy elite celebrity like Barbara Streisand. So we're going to talk about the, that recall tomorrow because it's an exciting turn of events. And, and the Biden administration and their complete blunder overseas and here in this country 
on the border with inflation, with rising crime, is going to help take Gavin Newsom down. I mean, that's his party. That's, that is going to be something. If he's recalled, that goes way beyond the state of California, right? Which is still the seventh largest economy in the world, I believe. So keep an eye on that. Whether you're here in California or not, it is relevant to the world. Because Gavin Newsom, not long ago, was a shoo-in to be a presidential nominee at some point because the Democrats promote their failures. He failed San Francisco. It's a mess. He's failed California. It's a disaster. And still, had this not gone sideways without COVID showing what a two-faced piece of shit he actually is to people that didn't know that, which is amazing. Without that, he'd probably still be on a pathway to potentially run in 2024, if not 2028. God forbid, I, I don't see that happening. Um, and he's a real obnoxious individual. There's some interviews coming out from when he was mayor. I mean, that guy is a magnanimous prick, if I've ever seen one. And he's gotten better at hiding it. But these interviews are coming back. You can Google it from his mayoral days. And he's just a just a jerk. So uh, something to enjoy on the side, seeing him squirm. Hopefully it, it results in him going. Cuomo's gone. Uh, it's It's a bad day for Democrats. And I hope the Republicans take advantage of it. We have to. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And I will be back tomorrow. And I look forward to talking to you soon. God bless.